So far, you've only heard from me. So now it's time to open up the moleskin journals in which I wrote, so you can hear the words of Mother Shipton. It's quite easy to be distracted when you're looking down on the top of your own head, especially when it's on fire. That's when the papist bastard Wolsey's raven swallowed me whole. There I was, all peaceable-like, watching my body as it caught flame. I watched the halo as my hair caught fire and smiled to myself, seeing an echo on what had, until recently, been my face. I leaned out over the head of the gargoyle, cornering the tower of St Michael the Belfry to get a better look. That's when it caught sight of me. I neither heard nor saw it coming. I was carried far off from York, far away in the belly of that stinking raven, before it shat me out into the centre of a dark, fetid cave. I can't even begin to tell you how annoyed I was. It had taken much planning to separate my spirit away from my body, well enough for me to still be able to walk to the pyre and move it convincingly in the fire while my body burned. I suppose it was my own fault. I should have got away there and then, but I admit to a certain curiosity. So would you in the same situation? My own vanity had got me onto that bonfire. If I had only stuck to local divination and not mentioned that his grace, the Cardinal Wolsey, would never set foot in York, then I'd probably have survived to an even ruder old age. Mind you, it hadn't hurt becoming spirit, but to be shat out in a lime cave, that I hadn't foreseen. Some prophetess I turned out to be. This was going to be a problem. The lime in the shit fixed me to the floor of the cave, and the cave dripped more lime. An eternity in the crap. Not what I would have chosen for myself. I had to do something quickly before my spirit decayed. Like all others, it needed the desire of others to sustain it. Mine more than most, as my life had been that of healer. So I took stock of my surroundings. I knew them well. I'd returned to Nesborough, the locality of my birth. I could see a cave and its valley about it. And even though the cave was sealed from humankind and stinking like the devil's own midden, it was bordered by a beautiful place. The river and a natural park encircled the cave. It'd be safe enough for what I needed. Time. This was a peaceful place. The river Nid flowed lazily close, making an almost island of the rock in which the cave lived. So, I decided. I would use the lime and grow in my own image. Here in the middle of this cave, I would grow the image of my body out of the lime. And in doing so, call out to the needs of those around me. This would take some time. I knew how to wait. Ugliness had taught me patience. There were those who, when they wrote my story, believe I'd been born in that cave. 
They were partly right. Ursula Sontiel died, and the legend that was Mother Shipton was born in that space. I took my time and shaped a body in the cave, seated on a lime throne, and surrounded it with the limey water. I now had a shape with which to call the needy into the cave, a focus for their desires. With the body now formed, my spirit cried out for freedom. I ached to fly the length and breadth of England and into the foreign and magical land of the Celts, listening and learning on my journeys. My flights were of the mind in that dark cave and the confinement almost maddened me, but I knew. Wait. Long released from my earthly body, and freed from the needs of time. The men of religion could not touch me any more. So when my spirit was fully healed, I'd summon the elements to crack open the cave. That was a good day, I can tell you. The stink of the cave gave way to good, fresh Yorkshire air. And I grew flowers around the mouth of the cave to make it more inviting. In spring... I took my voice on the first journey out into the air. It was dusk. A beautiful waxing moon lit the river and the secluded pathway to the outside world. It was good. Time stood still in that moment and I waited by the mouth of the cave next to the flowers for I knew it wouldn't be long before she came. And she did. A young virgin came to me. Her longing heart had opened her mind to hear me. The flowers had led her to the mouth of the cave and I followed her in. I see into your heart, child. Leave me a gift and you will have your desire. Now, Let's be honest, I must have been a little out of practice. On reflection, I'd been in that cave for around 200 years and her reaction was a natural one on hearing the sound of a voice. Even if the voice came from inside her own head and seeing the shadow of a woman encased in lime in the cave before her. Not surprisingly, she shat herself and ran away in terror. It took me a few months before I ventured out again, and this time it was no virgin, but a mother who found her way into my cave. Of course, it would have been a mother. She who had known the pain of childbirth. She who had known loss. So it was, I gave her the child she craved. Two pure souls pulled dead from her body, now shivering in unconsecrated ground, had left her with no love for the church, and she was prepared to call on me for healing. A bonny lad she birthed too, and she came back to me, good as a word, with a baby rattle to hang from the cave. So, I took the wooden rattle, now attached to the womb of my cave, and turned it into stone, drip by drip. 
And when the rattle was completely encased, a tiny echo of life was lit within me. Her need, fulfilled, had turned into a spark of life. And through the lime, I absorbed it. My plan was working. From then on, I called to the mothers, only the mothers, all who would listen. All those whose wombs knew what it was to bear fruit, and all those whose wombs ached with emptiness. Mothers who feared death, others who wished it on their husbands. Mothers whose hands ached from the daily toil of service, mothers whose husbands strayed. The trickle became a stream, and the stream made its own path, and so my fame grew. The long walk to the cave became part of the pilgrimage. How Wolsey would have hated it. My cave became a shrine for those for whom the church had no place. They only offered penance and misery. I offered freedom and fulfilment. No blue dress clad my image of stone. No candles lit or services held. I did my business in the darkness and shadows of the cave. It grew quite full in the dropping well, and the clothing of those who came to me changed. This was no longer the exclusive home of the poor and needy. Soon, women in finery, and even sometimes men, sought out the cave now. Oh, but the needs did not change, though the fashions did, and all the while I waited. Collecting the fire of need from each gift given to me in thanks for a child born, a husband found, a love uncovered. Do not think for one minute that in my need I could abuse theirs. No, there are rules. Break them and you slip back into the shit. And if you ask me to cause another pain, I cannot and I will not do it. I can, however, turn the harm they've caused you back on themselves. This is a lesson to be learned. And if you have patience and are willing to open your mind, I'll teach you. If not, enjoy your time in the shit, because that is where you will stay. Forgive me. Too long in the lime has given me a midden mind. It will be different when I'm freed from the cave. As I have said to you, it grew full round the cave and the new god of commerce moved into my rock. The landowner Slingsby leased my cave to a keeper as a curiosity, who in turn began to charge money to those who wanted to visit me. At first I was angry. But then I accepted it. It was a man. He could neither see nor hear me. To him, the cave was just a way of trading on the gullibility of women. How ironic. As he made money, I healed those who came to my cave. His greed 
protected the cave from harm, and I grew stronger. So many tokens left for the lime to absorb, and with each token of light given freely to the cave, I grew in life. So much need invested in each. I waited until I had enough light to rekindle a phoenix fire. Waited until the world was ready for my knowledge. And then I set out to find a woman to carry my spirit alongside her child and to birth my soul out of the darkness of the cave. Fact is, she came to me. It was only proper. Foreign in tongue, strong in mind, her body had been empty of fruit for 17 years. She'd born a son and ached for a daughter. Her mind was free of any superstitious concerns that plagued the English. She told me outright, give me a daughter and I will give you life. I was ready to leave the cave, ready to be young again, to become the shadow daughter that she would never see. And for a little while to hear another called mother until I grew in years with a girl child she was to bear. This time I would have beauty as well as knowledge through her. It was going to be an interesting life. The daughter would share life with me and I would share knowledge and power. If she was strong enough to receive it. But perhaps it would be better if I tell you my story from the beginning instead of the end. Or to be more accurate, the middle. I've had plenty of time in the cave to reflect and remember all those years alone. It will make a pleasant change being able to tell my story instead of listening to everybody else's. That much you owe me, I think, for the knowledge I impart to you is without price. So settle down, my daughters, and those sons with enough of the mother in them to see and hear me. Listen well, for within my story is a lesson for us all. If you choose to hearken to it, you can do magic. Real magic. Not the flummery and hocus pocus of men, but real earth magic. Even now, even in your world of noise and bright lights, technology and travel. Oh yes, I know of your world. Do you really think things have changed for the better? Listen to my voice and decide for yourself. My story began before I was born. Birthed to an unwed mother, I was scorned by all. My mother, Agatha, was a poor and orphaned virgin 
when she was taken in by the soft and pliable tongue of a priest. Oh yes, dear reader. My father was no devil with horns and a tail, as local legend would have it, but devilish nonetheless. He watched Agatha grow like the fruit in the bushes, wild and juicy. And when he deemed she was ripe, he plucked her. She was 15 summers young and ready to wed. He did not give her the chance. Seducing her with his sweet Latin tongue, his incantations entranced her, and she opened her legs willingly to the priest. She did not fear for her soul, nor did she worry that his seed would take root in her womb. He told his congregation from the height of the pulpit on Sunday morn, readily enough, that in order for a child to be conceived, the man and woman had to be married in the sight of God. So she'd be all right then. She trusted the priest. And when she became big with child, he stood in the shadow and allowed the mob of women to force her to the magistrate. They would have punished her as a prostitute, but my mother would have none of it. Agatha stood before her accusers, rude and healthy with child, and quoted scripture to the magistrate, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. In the silence that followed, she pointed out her wife Martin from the crowd who'd driven her here. All eyes followed the finger as she turned scarlet and tried to push herself back into the crowd. Agatha then walked towards the magistrate, tall in his seat, and looked him square in the eye. Your child lives in that belly. Huswife Martin screamed and ran from the hall. The magistrate berated the angry women. There is no civil case to answer here. Leave my presence. The priest stood half in shadow, cloaked in piety by his cowardice. And he stayed silent throughout this charade. Agatha herself had no special power, although others called her witch from this time. Truly, other than the fact that she listened more than she spoke and people did not see her because of her poverty. Her knowledge about Huswife Martin had come from the other women. She'd heard the rumour and put it to use. It saved her that day and from then on she removed herself from the village and the vicious tongues of women. From then... Agatha was pretty much left alone by the villagers as they feared her lack of fear. She slept in a barn by the side of a farm three miles into the countryside. Three miles was far enough for her to spend her confinement in peace. The farmer and his wife knew she were there and were happy for her to be there. She birthed their sheep in gratitude for the shelter and they slept more peacefully with this knowledge. But then the darker rumours started. All the more when Tom Martin's wife 
gave birth to a weakling boy. She told anyone who'd listen that Agatha had cursed her womb that day. People believed it because they wanted to and because there was nothing much happening that summer in the village. Stories grew of how people had seen her out in the fields, courting the devil. They'd seen his tail. She had sold her soul and she would be punished. They'd seen the child she'd birthed, a child born spitting and ready to bite, a demon child. As it was, Tom Martin came to the barn and offered her money to remove the curse. Tom loved his wife and he didn't care if the child was his or no. Agatha took pity on this gentle man. She tried to tell him she couldn't undo something she hadn't done in the first place, but he wouldn't listen, so couldn't hear. So, she did the only thing she could do to remove the stone from the heart of the poor cuckold. She mumbled under her breath and told him the curse was lifted. Tom cried then and tried to push money into Agatha's hand, but she wouldn't take it. The child recovered. It wasn't her doing. Either way, her reputation was being made. If the child had died, she was a powerful witch who'd laid a curse. If the child thrived, she was a powerful witch who'd removed a curse. Agatha was young, but no fool. And in understanding the thinking of men, she realised her survival and mine lay in other people's beliefs. Times when we are feeling 